I died on Tuesday, March 28th, 2038 at 2.37 in the morning. I was 92 years old at the time, and it was an easy passing. It happened while I was sleeping. I remember getting up to pee, going back to bed, and dozing off again. The next thing I knew, I was here at these pearly gates. I can see a huge white marble-like arch, and it's reaching up for the sky, whatever they call that area here above us. It looks like a stage set for some blockbuster Hollywood film. I'm still in my bed, but now I'm sitting up. There's a single long line of beds in front of me and other beds behind me, and each bed has someone in it. I guess we're on some sort of conveyor belt because our beds are moving, albeit very slowly. It's now been about a half an hour since I arrived, and my bed has come to rest directly in front of a large pink booth. There's an entity sitting in the booth, and it's shaped like a large man, probably seven feet in height. He looks to be around 70, and there's a broad smile on his Santa Claus-like face. He has no head covering, just a ton of white hair, a white beard, exceptionally warm brown eyes, and deep lines chiseled into the friendly features of his face. He's wearing a flowing white gown, and there's a pair of soft white angel wings jutting out from behind him. He could well have arrived from central casting to play his role of an angel. He's perfect for the part. Welcome, Mort, he thunders in a rich, melodious, baritone voice. This can't be real, I'm thinking. I must be dreaming, but it sure seems real. You're not dreaming, my boy, the angel says. He's actually able to hear my thoughts. This is the real deal, Mort. You've made it to the top of the mountain. Congratulations. Now we need to get you checked in. So we're going to send you and your deathbed over there to the left so that Angel Wesley can start your intake interview. If I've been accepted here and you can read my mind, why do I need an intake interview? Don't you already know everything about me? Of course we do. But there are some big gaps in our records and they're related to your work history. Seems like you've done lots of different and unusual things to earn your living down there on Earth. Some of it was under the table, and we weren't able to track it. Our heavenly archives require a complete record of your 92 years on Earth, so we'll need to complete the story about your life's work. Angel Wesley is waiting for you over there on the left, and he'll be happy to answer all of your questions. May you enjoy your heavenly stay with us and be eternally happy. So now my bed is moving forward again, and it veers to the left. I look down over the side, but can't see any tracks to support it. The bed is just floating and moving in midair. Then it stops in front of another booth that appears to be identical to the first one. Angel Wesley is sitting there, and he looks exactly like Tony, the skinny drugstore pharmacist who I worked with as a teenager. The resemblance is remarkable. 
jet black receding hair with a nose that's too big for his narrow Italian face. He appears to be shorter than the first angel. Of course, he has the obligatory white gown and angel wings. He's apparently sitting, but I'm not able to see any chair. His large hands are comfortably folded together in midair and resting on some invisible table. Hey, Mort, I hope you had an easy passage, he says. I'm Angel Wesley, and I want to extend a heavenly welcome to you. This intake session is the final step before we let you in. We need to fill in some missing pieces related to your work history down there on Earth. We'll review your work life together, and as we go along, please feel free to jump in with any important details or stories that you'd like to share for the record. My work life spans some 65 years. This could take up quite a lot of time, I say. We have all the time in the world, Mort. Please get comfortable in your bed and let me know if you need any more pillows. As I adjusted my pillows, I replied, I'm good. He looks down at his invisible table. So I see here from our records that your work life began at age 11. You did door-to-door sales for a greeting card company and received your first fishing rod as payment. That record looks complete in its details. He's reading from an invisible ledger. Please add that my parents refused to buy me a fishing rod, and that's the only way I was able to get one. Okay, I'll add that. He writes something down with an invisible writing instrument. We already know how badly your parents treated you, he says. A sympathetic tone to his voice. Will I be seeing them up here? I ask, suddenly feeling a tightness in my chest. Will I be spending the rest of eternity with them? No, my boy. Their earthly lives did not bring them here. I feel an enormous sense of relief. Let's move on to the next record, Wesley says. At age 14, you worked for the Far Rockaway Chamber of Commerce, selling their memberships and also ad space in their monthly magazine. Then you started working as a clerk at a drugstore in Rockaway, New York. You also worked at two other drugstores during your teenage years. I have all those dates and details. Tell me about your next career experience as an advertising copywriter. How did you get into advertising? A big black fly lands on Wesley's head and he brushes it off. There are flies at the pearly gates. Are there flies beyond the pearly gates as well, I wonder? If so, does that mean there are good flies that go to heaven and bad flies that go to the other place? Wesley lifts an invisible mug and sips some unseen liquid. At the age of 20, I was still living at home with my disturbed parents, and I started seeing a therapist. I joined this therapy group and met Harry a well-known advertising copywriter. Harry sat opposite me in the weekly group, talked a lot about his work, and it all sounded fascinating to me. I decided that I wanted to do everything that he was doing. We came to know each other through the group, had lunch one day, 
and he generously offered to teach me how to write ads. It was an exciting offer I accepted and started making monthly visits to see him at his office. He taught me how to write dramatic, compelling ads that could sell products, and I started putting together a portfolio of original ads. Harry liked my ads, gave me a list of his friends in the business, and told me to go see them. I dropped off my portfolio to each of them in turn, and one of them hired me. That was the start of my three-year stint as an advertising copywriter. It was creative, interesting work that I really enjoyed. Angel Wesley finishes taking his invisible notes, and his white gown flutters in a slight breeze. Looks like you had short-term jobs at two other ad agencies and then did retail copywriting as well, he says. You next had a carpentry business and then started an interior decorating business, Wesley says. Yes, I enjoyed doing carpentry work and was very interested in interior decorating. I wished I had gone to school for that. I started this business by placing an ad in the New York Village Voice, a local paper. My ad said, I can work wonders with your dumpy looking apartment and real cheap too. Call me and I'll show you. I guess there were a lot of dumpy looking New York apartments back then because I got a lot of calls. I charged $15 for a consultation and would walk around an apartment and make suggestions for improving its function and appearance. People liked my ideas. I would offer to do carpentry work if that was needed. I had a lot of fun working as a decorator. Then you sold hand-drawn portrait t-shirts. Is that right? Wesley asks. Yes, I went to a wholesale t-shirt outlet, bought two dozen white t-shirts and two dozen color t-shirts, all in assorted sizes. Then I picked up a wooden easel, a bunch of color markers, and two folding camping chairs. I created a sign that said, your portrait on a t-shirt. I packed up everything in a suitcase and caught a train to Central Park in Manhattan, where I set up my easel to the right of the main entrance under some trees. I immediately got business from people walking by. My customers would sit on my camping chair and I would sketch their face on one of the shirts. Okay, I have many pages of detail about your other businesses. You ran a dog walking service in Brooklyn, New York. You went door to door selling wall art to doctors and dentists. And then... You were a fuller brush salesman. Do you want to say anything more about any of those businesses? I loved going door to door and selling fuller brushes and accessories. I enjoyed chatting with my many uh, regular customers and finally decided to start my own company to do that. I did research at the local library and located several sources for all the products that Fuller offered. And I thought of a great name for my new company. It would be known as the Fullman Brush Company. What happened to that idea? Wesley asks. I moved on to something even better. I decided to make and sell handmade name jewelry. In a matter of minutes, 
using pliers and 18-gauge aluminum wire, I could shape and form letters of the alphabet to spell out people's names. Attaching silver-colored chains turned the names into necklaces and bracelets. I'd go to different business districts in Brooklyn and Manhattan, set up my display, and sell my jewelry illegally. I made enormous amounts of money doing that, but I had to run from the police. I finally moved on to legal venues like flea markets, street fairs, and craft shows. This was a very lucrative business that I continued for many years. Wesley looks to the left suddenly. Excuse me, I need to take this call. And he brings his left hand near his ear. He has a heavenly cell phone. Wow! But he isn't talking into it. He and the caller are apparently reading each other's thoughts over the phone. Amazing. You know, it actually feels good to take a break from our talk. I'm glad that he's momentarily occupied, and I start to wonder what it's like beyond these huge gates. What does heaven look like? How does everyone get around? Is there some mode of transportation? What do people do all day? What do they wear? When will I be able to leave my deathbed? I so wish that we had replaced this old mattress. My mind is spinning with questions, but now he's back with me. Sorry about that, he says. There was a major earthquake. Many people passed over, and a lot of them are now waiting to be admitted. This has been a real busy week. Our council was just updating me. Let's continue with your work. Next up was your import-export business. How did you get into that? At the age of 34, I joined the therapy group once again and met someone who had a very profitable import-export business. He bought and sold frozen fish, and he invited me to join his company and do sales. I worked for him for about a year, but didn't get many sales, and finally quit. I was glad to leave. I was a vegetarian at the time. Fish seemed creepy to me, and I didn't enjoy selling it. According to our records, you then spent the next 35 years doing computer-related work of all kinds. This is laid out in detail over hundreds of pages of notes in our records. Do you want to tell me anything else about all that? Yes, I'll mention uh, some things that happened along the way. I went back to school at the age of 40 to study computer repair. My first computer job was at a company that had service contracts with major businesses in the San Francisco Bay Area. In the beginning, I worked closely with the service manager named Ron, and he took me with him on service calls. He tried to get me up to speed with the many kinds of repairs that I would need to make to all kinds of equipment. After three months, he deemed me ready to start making service calls on my own. He gave me good advice. You're going to run into issues that you're not going to have a clue about, and they'll ask you questions that you won't be able to answer, he said, as I headed out the door on my very first call. There are two words that have saved my ass over the years. 
When they ask you any questions, just say, that depends. Sometimes I would be working at our store behind the counter and people would drop off equipment that needed to be repaired. I was told to tell everyone that their repair would take one week and then I would carry their computer or printer to the repair bench at the back of the store. Ron was the only person doing uh, in-shop repairs. He was usually out on calls and dozens of computers and printers would pile up waiting to be fixed. Ron was brilliant. He worked quickly and sometimes he would go in on weekends and knock off two dozen repair jobs at once. Occasionally, an angry customer would call to say that they hadn't heard from us for a month. Ron coached me on what to say to these angry people, and I always told them the same thing. Looks like it has a bad input bridge. We need some more time to fix it. Oh no, was the usual response. Will it cost a lot to fix? That depends, was my reply. We'll let you know. I would then go to the repair bench, pull their equipment from the pile, and place it on Ron's desk with a priority note attached. He would come in that weekend and fix it. When customers picked up their equipment, they were usually relieved to find out that it didn't need an input bridge after all and wouldn't cost as much as they imagined. Their anger abated. I watch as Wesley takes notes in his invisible ledger that appears to hang mid-air between us. Six months into working there, I received a message that John, the owner, wanted to see me in his office at 5 p.m. I imagined that I would be fired, and all day long was dreading my meeting with him. When the time came, I knocked on his door and entered the sloppiest-looking office that I had ever seen. There were books littering the floor and papers scattered randomly across his desk. Grab a chair, John said as I walked in, and I pulled up a gray metal chair. John was in his fifties, had receding gray hair and a rigid-looking, stressed-out face. He wore a tan shirt and a red tie that was loosely knotted. How are things going, Mort? Do you like working for us? He asked. I was expecting to be fired. I felt a tightness in my chest, and I waited for the other shoe to drop. I'm good, I said. Very happy to be here. Excellent, he continued. We're very happy with your work, and I'll tell you why I wanted to see you. I belong to a wonderful spiritual group called Spirit Heart. I require all my employees to take the Spirit Heart introductory weekend workshop. I'd like to enroll you in our very special weekend next month. That sounds great, I said, feeling enormous relief at not being fired. I'll look forward to it. He nodded, smiled, and handed me a color flyer with the workshop details. Perfect, he said. We'll be happy to see you there. He stood up, shook my hand, and I left his office. I went to his workshop the following month and didn't get much out of it. They did a lot of meditation and dancing to spiritual music all day long, 
and I was glad to see the weekend come to a close. John invited me to go back for more, and it was optional, so I declined the invitation. Ten years later, I had a great gig teaching software classes to the Coast Guard personnel in Alameda, California, where I was living. It was hard at times because many of my students came to class wearing their guns on their belts. I once had a nightmare about a student who shot me because he didn't like my class. Wesley nods as I talk. I'm about to relate an incident with a difficult student when I suddenly feel a sharp pain in my right side. A voice calls out from the distance, and I turn to my right. My partner Nina has poked me in the ribs, and she appears next to me in the bed. You're talking in your sleep again, and it's keeping me up, she says. I look around and see that I'm actually back home in our bedroom. I haven't died after all. Those pearly gates were just a dream that I was having. What a dream. I'm sorry, dear listener, that I can't tell you what it's like beyond those pearly gates. Hopefully, some night soon, my dream will continue. I'll pass through those gates, and then I'll find out. Please stay tuned for the sequel to this story.